We've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians and calling the overall series Growing Pains. It really has fit in many uh, great ways. Um, Dwayne took uh, the blame for uh, insisting that we do this series. I want to take credit for it now because it's worked out really well, Dwayne. So uh, I agreed to what your idea was. Um, but if you were here a few weeks ago, Dwayne made the point as he preached from chapter 15 that really uh, 1 Corinthians, in a sense, sort of has bookends, which is the gospel. It starts with the cross of Christ in chapter 1, and really the wrap-up chapter, uh, as far as the teaching, the main points, is chapter 15, where the focus is on the resurrection. But there's still some business to be done as Paul finishes out his uh, letter, and in particular, as you just heard from the reading of the scripture, he wanted to talk to them about a collection. And that's what I want to do this morning. The question of, okay, we're, we want to stay focused on the gospel. That's the heart of what the church is all about. But money is also an issue that we need to discuss. And uh, if you'll notice chapter 16, uh, that Claire just read, now concerning the collection for the saints. So we'll talk about money. I got your attention. Yeah. It's a very important subject, isn't it? Let me tell you the backstory before we actually dig into how this applies to us. As I think most of you are aware, the church, as we know it today, began in Jerusalem. It was essentially a Jewish church, as you might expect. But the gospel very quickly spread out into all of the surrounding countryside, which would be populated largely with Gentiles. There would always be Jews uh, who had relocated in these various spots. And so the, the early churches, particularly as Paul spearheaded this great movement that still continues to this day, was the establishment of churches all over the world. And particularly, Paul's strategy was to penetrate the great urban centers of the ancient world. Christianity really was adapted to the cities and the urban centers. And uh, one of those great centers was Corinth, which is what the, the book was all about. And so you had really a church of new believers uh, growing up uh, together, learning and having aches and pains as they were growing in their faith. But the word came that the church back in Jerusalem, the home, the home base for the whole of the ministry, was in very deep distress. There was a famine that was going on and the church was being affected. And so the Apostle Paul determined that all of the Gentile churches should come together and take up a great offering to support the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And there's actually a good bit of writing about this in the New Testament. It's quite a fascinating study. And uh, so he was actually not just the Corinthians, but lots of people were being organized and gathering up monies. And Paul was about to take a trip with others. And again, you read about this and you find he was exceedingly careful in the way he handled money. 
uh, to not kind of invite any kind of uh, criticism. So the Apostle Paul was gathering up money. He introduced the idea, probably took at least a year to get all of this put together. So it was not just kind of a random sort of a thing. And apparently, the sense is... Oh, Steve's counting. I thought he was looking. I thought I heard a bird in here. Apparently, um, the, the Corinthians, these folks that received this letter, at first thought this was a great idea. Yeah! Boy, we're ready. We're ready. We want to help those folks out. And uh, we're quite public about their uh, participation. And this, in turn, encouraged all these other churches. You know, folks, the Corinthian church is really committed to this, to this offering. I hope you will be, too. So everyone else was getting on board. But as the time got closer, this uh, young church that could get very enthusiastic and very impulsive with a lot of other things... This is why we call it growing pains. Uh, the apostle began to get some concern that the Corinthian church was not really ready to follow through on what they said they would do in terms of the offering. And so he wrote these words that we just read in the first letter that he, or we call it 1 Corinthians. It may have been actually the second time he wrote to them. And there's another letter we call 2 Corinthians which actually was written as he was kind of on his way, uh, where he goes into much more detail. And we just read the second part of chapter 9. But if you go back and study chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, you really find the most helpful and expansive discussion of giving in the New Testament. It's very, very challenging because it doesn't just give some practical guidelines. It talks really about the heart of it all, which is to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I've done is, is not so much do a study of 1 Corinthians, but I want to encourage you to take out the blue insert that I put in all of your bulletins. And basically, in what I think Paul was doing, I want to work, just talk through this with you, uh, because this is such an important issue, and I want kind of uh, all of you to be thinking with me about this. Jesus taught, you see, I'm just simply reading right now this document. Jesus taught, and this is a quote from Luke 16, if we have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And let me say, several years ago, as a pastor, I read these verses in preparation for a sermon. That's a whole other study that we could do. But what I read here was this. If you have not learned how to handle your money for the glory of God. Folks, that's the easy part. Who is going to take you on to even deeper spiritual lessons? And what this told me was challenging God's people as to how they deal with money is very fundamental to discipleship, to following Jesus. And I say that to you this morning. 
I'm not standing before you because liberty is in deep trouble. And uh, frankly, sometimes preachers are terrified to speak about money, but then they have to because the, the ship is sinking. And so they're coming in some kind of crisis mode. But the whole point is we're going under, and so you need to write some checks and help us out. Bail us out, folks. I just don't – I really dislike intensely that kind of crisis sort of preaching on money. The fact is how we handle God's money is a fundamental issue of discipleship. As we were talking in our staff the other day, if you, if you don't talk about money, you, you eliminate an awful lot of what Jesus spoke about, don't you? This very passage that I quoted here, Jesus goes on to say, where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That's simply a fact. You can look at your checkbook. You can look at your checkbook and discover what your priorities in life are all about. I have included in here a report of where we stand uh, at this point in a financial way. Uh, you know, we have money in the bank. We're okay. The, it, the trend is not great. But uh, anyway, I'll just say that. You can read about it yourself when you have a chance. That's not really what I'm here for this morning. I want you to be thinking with me. And, and I've sort of stepped back for just a moment before we talk about giving to look at the big picture. The way I put it here is think of this in three steps. Stewardship and then giving, and then giving to liberty. Let's talk about the big question. How much of what you and I possess belongs to God? Uh, you can talk back to me. I'll ask you the question, class. How much of what you and I possess belongs to God? Uh, I think you could be a little more energetic. Let's, let me try again. How much of what you and I possess belongs to God? Wow, you say that with conviction. Do you really believe that? I say that, I, I honestly say that because if we really, in the depths of our being, were convinced that everything that we have, that may have our name on the top of the title of the car, or it may have your name on the, on the diploma from the university, or it may have your name on the checkbook, but in fact it belongs to God, and you really believe that? I, I really think the rest is sort of easy, almost. There's some practical issues to be concerned. So I really want to say, I hope in, your, in the very depths of your being, you're saying this morning, everything I have. And it's, in a sense, it's easy to think of it in terms of the dollars that we have, because you can measure those. But we're talking about, yeah, your car, your career, your future. Everything I have is God's. He's the owner. 
You see, that's what stewardship means. Sometimes when you hear the word stewardship, you've, if you've been around the church, stewardship always means, oh, they're going to try to crusade for us to be giving more money to the church. Well, stewardship means more than that. It means to, it means to be a manager. And the whole idea is that the owner, and you see the various parables Jesus would tell and so forth, the owner many times was an absentee and he would turn the whole operation over to his steward or his manager. And he would say, I'll check back with you when I come back. Or I'm, I'm kind of doing other things, you check in with me once in a while, tell me how things are going. And so the steward had a lot of authority. And in one sense, I suppose you could say, this is, this is my uh, operation. This is, these are my money. But he knew, ultimately, he would give accountable. He would be accountable to the owner. And so we are stewards. Because ultimately, it all belongs to God. The old phrase, you know, from one of the Psalms, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And, and may I say, quite frankly, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer... You are not yet following Jesus. It still belongs to God. Those who acknowledge, as we've done today, that it belongs to God, are saying the truth. But some of you may say, no, 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 it's not God's, it's mine. I've worked hard for it. I am a self-made person. I've made my way in life. Baloney. There is no self-made person. Believer or unbeliever, others have helped you. God has blessed you with a brain. He's blessed you with health. He's blessed you with resources. Whatever it is, it's brought you to this place in life. How dare you say, I've done it. It's an insult to so many others. Many of you have had a harder time than others. But the fact of the matter is, God's the owner of it all. Right? And I trust we acknowledge that. That's the question that I simply ask you here in the, in the, in the uh, sheet that I've passed out. Do you acknowledge him to be the true owner of all you possess? And therefore, do you think of your income, use of talents, and so forth as stewardship? Stewardship. Now, I, I don't say this to, to put a weight or a burden on you. You know, God has supplied what he has for you to take care of your family, to live, to save, to prepare for the future, to have fun. It's not evil to use the resources God has given you to have fun. But at the same time, we always need to stop and ask ourselves. And I think this really bears in a particular way on the, on the kind of debt that people get themselves into. And some of you, I suspect, are in terrible bondage. And I would just simply challenge you to stop and calculate how much of God's money you are paying in credit card interest and whether or not you are in fact trapped in that. That's sort of the way, that's the American dream, but it's not the biblical dream. So yeah, have fun with what God has given you, but don't throw it away. Don't waste it. Don't use it in a, in a 
in a way that uh, just simply dissipates whatever you've been supplied. And that really leads then to the second point that, uh, that I want to make, and that is the, the fact that as part of our stewardship, we are, we are committed to giving away to those who, who need it a part of what we have been given. It's just really a sub-point of the larger question of stewardship. Now, this is where that text in 1 Corinthians 2 is helpful. Let me just call your attention to it again. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do, on the first day of, the week, of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Out of that, I just suggest to you that our giving should be systematic, proportionate, and generous. Okay? What does Paul say? The first day of the week, which suggests, by the way, Christians were already gathering. That was their special day, that first day of the week. It doesn't mean, by the way, necessarily they were putting it in the offering plate. We don't know what exactly was behind that. uh, Because maybe they were already taking up offerings for the regular work of the church. This was a special offering. But the point is, Paul said, I want you to think about what you're going to do. I want you to have a plan. I want you you in your mind, willingly and joyfully, but think about it and plan what you will give. And then have a plan of how you're going to get there. Systematically set aside something so that when the time comes, when Paul showed up, uh, there wouldn't be scurrying around and people saying, ooh, I guess I don't have much after all. You know, giving whatever's left over at the last at the end of the month, which we all know is nothing, because we all spend whatever we have. So have you thought about looking at all that God has given you? Is there a plan? That's the question that I ask on that insert. Do you have a plan for giving to God's work on a regular basis? That's simply my challenge to you as far as systematic. And I want to say to those of you who are married, you've got to talk this over together. The last I heard, breakdown of communication over money issues is still number one. Anyone agree with that, married people? Money issues are number one. And Lord help us if you're competing with each other and angry at each other over what to give to God's work. That's great. So I just want to urge you, if you're a married couple, have you talked about this? Have you thought through together? Which leads to the second uh, kind of practical guideline that seems to rise up out of that, and that is proportionate. The text says, as God has prospered you. So as God blesses you, you in turn bless others. Now, if you're living in the Old Testament culture, you know that you would be committed by law to give a tithe. That's 10%. And that's 10% up front. That's the first 10%. The first 10% of your crop 
or of your herds or if you have cash of the cash that came into you. People say, no, we're in the New Testament. We're following Jesus. We're not under the Old Testament law. And that's very true. And so if you follow Jesus, how much did Jesus give? He gave everything. That's our standard. Now again, as a practical matter, what does that look at like? Because God has given us, as I say, money to take care of our families and, uh, and other issues. And so I, I've always said that as a practical matter, you ought to use the 10% as a, as a starting point, as a basis. When you ask yourself, how much are you giving to God's work? Uh, you know, there, there's on the one hand a freedom we have in Christ, but on the other hand, a, a, a discipline that ought to go with it. And so, yeah, I think, I think you should start and, and say, what does a tithe look like for our income? Does that fit you? Maybe it doesn't. Uh, proportionate, by the way, means uh, if, you're not, if you have no income, the last I knew... 10% of zero is zero. So there's really equity here. It's reasonable to think about it. Uh, and and my, again, my challenge is not, you know, to lay down a law. You need to be tithing. That's the phrase we use when we talk about the 10%. But I just find that many people just have not really stopped to consider what they're doing in this regard. I was thinking back to my own journey on this question. Uh, I don't know that I paid much attention to what I was giving. I guess I gave a little write a check or something when I was going through school, when we were absolutely and totally broke. But uh, when I got my first real job, which was actually as a pastor when I was 27, and we were paid next to nothing, but I, I did feel like if I'm going to challenge people to give, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so I committed myself to tithing 10%, that is, take 10% of what, what we were uh, given. And it wasn't much. Sandy remembers the exact figure. But, um, but uh, nevertheless, I really felt that that was um, the thing that I should do. And I, I have to tell you, you know, you don't give in order for God to bless you. But there's also the challenge, as we saw, as you can read in 2 Corinthians... You know, God who supplies your needs will bless you as you give. Will you open your heart to that? So you're not doing in order to be blessed, but you will be blessed. And I'm standing here today. I haven't gone to the poorhouse. God has blessed us. Uh, and I have to be honest, you know, we all change. Our lives change in different stages. I, don't, I couldn't tell you what percentage uh, I'm giving today. Because our situation is... Very different. In those days, we were part of a little church that had no money, and so I felt not only should I tithe, but all of my tithes should be going to that church. Which, by the way, is always a struggle for a pastor when your salary is the biggest item in the whole budget. So you're saying, wait a minute, I'm giving money to pay my own salary. Well, no, I'm giving to the Lord's work in this particular church. Now, as they say, we're in a different place. Uh, Sandy and I give to about three different churches and about six or seven 
individual missionaries. That'll happen too. People come into your life and ask, you know, will you be part of what I'm giving? And uh, I just try to make sure at the end of the year I look back and I can say I've given at least 10% and hopefully over. So I don't want to. I don't want to say here's the way to do it. I want to say, folks, you, you're. I want you to take up this challenge. And uh, of course, the key uh, piece in the third instance, as far as the challenge, is generous. That we give generously. Let me read to you again from that Second Corinthians passage. Verse 6, you can see it right there in the print. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, this, this feels very heavy to me right now. Because none of us like to be challenged and think about money. But at the root of it is a, a spirit of joy. God has blessed me. And because he has blessed me, I want that blessing to overflow to others. That's the whole spirit of this. Frankly, you can say if God hasn't blessed you, you know... It, it's really this wonderful flow, and out of it comes a great joy. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able, I love this text, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I checked that out, and that comes from Psalm 112, which is describing the blessed man. So this is not a description of the character of God. It's a description of the blessed man who distributes his good to the poor. And in just a moment, I'll just say a word about giving to liberty, but I, I want to make sure that we understand that this, this question of giving is not what you're giving to the church, but the whole question of how you give out to those who are in need. And particularly the emphasis in both Old and New Testaments is on the needs of the poor. Um, this is what the offering was being taken of that this is all about. Um, and by the way, one of the books that you read this summer, I didn't get in on the discussions, but I read the book, When Helping Hurts, a great study of, of, the, of how to give wisely to help the poor, not just to do handouts. So there really is a challenge. How do you, how do you give appropriately? And that's where, again, uh, really giving through the deacons is enormously helpful when you have deacons that are committed to, to wise giving. But nevertheless... This is a description of the blessed man. And so the question that I ask, does what you are giving reflect a thankful heart and an appropriate recognition of God's generosity to you? Please ask yourself that question.
Which brings us finally to the question of, okay, out of what I'm giving to God, or returning back to God what he's given to me, how much of that should go to my own church, to my own community? And again, that's a question that obviously is a personal issue with you, but I, you know, it's, we're sort of home free. I mean, if you've made the commitment to, to say, I want to be a faithful steward, oops, I can't wander from the mic. I want, to be, I want to make a commitment to be a faithful steward of all that God has given me. I'm answerable to him for everything he's supplied. Secondly, out of that comes a serious commitment to giving to the glory of God, to those who are in need. Then really the third point almost gets taken care of. When you have a, I've always said if you have a gathering of people in a community seriously committed to stewardship, not necessarily saying every nickel of that needs to come into the church, but God will supply the needs of a church that has that kind of generous spirit about it. And so I would again challenge you simply to ask yourself, if, you're, if you found this community, this is a place where you're being fed spiritually, you find yourself growing, it's a place where I'm encouraging one another, is it a church that is significantly in turn giving away, and we are, 10%? Off the top goes to church planting, but the, we're seriously committed to giving to those in need in the community and within the church. And so I encourage and challenge you to, to, to give a significant part of what your total giving is. But be available to help others as well, but, but give a significant part of what you're giving to the church. And so really the, the concluding challenge, if you look on that blue page... Have you made a systematic, proportional, and generous commitment to support the work of liberty? And I say, by the way, we do not require a pledge, and giving records are kept confidential, so the importance of a financial commitment to liberty is personal, but you should think of it as a sacred commitment and an important part of your spiritual life. And then the mechanics of how do you go about giving are on the back page and uh, look that over. It's very encouraging to me, by the way, to, to discover that over half of the giving, a majority of the giving that comes into Liberty comes through online uh, contributions. Uh, I think I'm right, on Hans, on that. You're the one that told me that a majority of giving comes through people... And if, you're, if, you, if you give through your bank to pass along you know, part of your bill pay, most of us pay a lot of our bills online, I'm still kind of the old-fashioned type, I have to confess. As part of worship, I like to drop a check in the offering. But the fact that most of the giving comes to Liberty through online giving says to me that you have sat down, you've talked about it, you've agreed together with your spouse, you've, you've kind of typed into your uh, computer X amount of money just to go to Liberty each month, that, that's an encouragement to me to realize that. So all of you, I just ask you to take up this challenge and consider this need. But it's beautiful to me that the passage we read this morning ends up saying, but thanks be to God 
for his indescribable gift. I hope you go away with that as the bottom line. Yeah, the challenge is, what are we doing with our money for the glory of God? But the bottom line for all of us, I trust, is ultimately the great gift and the great giver is God himself, who's given us his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And part of that passage is also uh, earlier, it's in chapter 8 of Second Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And friends, in Christ we are the richest of all people. We have the treasures of God himself located in Christ. Let's celebrate that as we come to the communion. Shall we pray?